0: It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Hi, I'm Teresa. And I'm Amy. We are two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. First off, I want to give my mother-in-law, Cece Longfield, uh, me
1: too. A shout out! Oh my gosh, that she emailed us it's again. So nice no, this is the
0: second one, and it's so nice to hear from people. I know, and I love. In her email, she reminded me that her siblings' name for their grandmother was Gaga. And she mentioned it because she was referring to episode (laughs) 16, Lady Gaga.
1: I thought that was so fun. That's very cute. Very cute.
0: Also, I saw this really neat article. Two locals here in Portland, Oregon, an artist, Campo, and a store owner, Aisha Kita, both were interested in this old building on Northeast 15th and Kellingsworth. Mm -hmm. Campo had his eye on the building because he wanted to do a big mural. Mm-hmm. and Aisha was wanting to open a thrift store to kind of help out after this I love both deer. of those, both yeah. Great hearts. And she, she was kind of took, Aisha took one look at it and was like, no way. I mean, it's <laughs> kind of rough. Or, Ka- okay. Yeah. <laughs> but somehow their paths crossed, and Campo offered to paint murals on all sides of the building. He started a GoFundMe page and raised $2,600. He needed every penny because it was 3,000 yeah. square feet he's painting. And then who are they going to depict on this mural? I'm impressed that they got $2,600 from a
1: GoFundMe. That's
0: go, really, yeah. yeah, super impressive. Aisha had been so inspired by Amanda Gorman's inaugural mm-hmm. poem, The Hill We Climb. Mm-hmm. She listened to it every night and day before she go to the store. Oh, I love that. And she said it really motivated her to work hard. So the mural took three weeks to paint. Thirteen local artists came to help with the background. Like Campo focused in on Amanda Gorman. Mm-hmm. I just love that. You know, it looks beautiful. Collaboration, the collaboration, I, the collaboration. working together yeah.
1: for one coming out. You
0: know, I, and I want to go check this out. In Me too. Yeah. yeah, we'll
1: have to go do that. We can go plug. We can go. We, pl- like, yeah. find a place to
0: go plug. Right That'd be there. fun to be field trip. Another cool thing that happened, I want to share. I was shopping last weekend at a local bookstore for someone's birthday.
1: I'm not, <laughs> Which I'm who. so grateful
0: for my books. Thank you. And I was looking because we talked about Bob Goff's new book. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's out yet. But yeah. I, I was picking up Everybody Always. And the guy next to me is like, oh, that's a great book. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I know. And he's <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm looking for his new book. And he goes, oh, you mean Love Always? And I'm like, "No." Nope. That's a good book. I've That's already, a good book, too. I already read it. And then the girl he was with chimes in and goes, how about, you know, Love Lives Here, Maria's book. And
1: I so just. So they've obviously read the Goff's, Goff's books. books, yeah.
0: And I just, I was just, I walked away from there with that. I love that inner ex- yeah. exchange yeah. with these people. It just brightened my day. Yeah, absolutely. And you probably brighten their day, too, with just
1: that connection. With our plogging. Yeah. I never realized how many of those dental flosser things that are are out there. Someone pointed out to me at the gym that they're in the parking lot all the time. And now I cannot stop seeing them. And I saw this news coverage with this lady that's actually from Portland. Is doing Indigo Go. Oh. Indigo Go. Okay. It's like a, she's trying to raise money for Happy Floss. H-A-P-P-I.
0: Oh, cool. It's sustainable
1: flossers.
0: Oh, that's So awesome. they're made out
1: of recycled paper. Oh. And she's a dentist in Portland. It's the world's first flosser designed for true compostability.
0: Oh, I so love that. So you can that. throw
1: it in with your compost. And she has different levels. You can buy a month's worth of flossers for just a single person. You can buy six months worth of, for a single person. You can buy a month for a family. So she has different levels of what you want to purchase on there, which I love. She's trying to raise $50,000 to be able to make the flossers in Portland. Okay. So by the equipment, I guess that's the word I'm looking for. But with Happy Floss, they're the world's first flosser designed for true compostability. And their packages come wrapped in seed paper packing. Oh, that's really neat. Yeah. In total, 99.7% of what consumers receive will be compostable and or recyclable. 99.7%. 99.7%. That, I've
0: never heard of anything that's like huge. that. That's, that's
1: huge. That's great. And like I said, these are all over the place. She, she was in Hawaii and she noticed it washing up on the beach. Oh. So she noticed the problem. She's a dentist, pediatric dentist. I love dentist the in Portland. Yeah. I've I read that those take like 400 years to disintegrate. Wow. The plastic. Wow. So, it's definitely a problem. You add that for, you know, the number of people that are using them times the years that we've been using them and people just tossing them. It's definitely a problem, but I love the ingenuity of this company. For now, they are simply trying to remove the floss and trying to make the plastics less. And in the future, they want to source or create a quality non-plastic floss filament. Oh. They're trying to use sustainable materials. So Happy Floss is made with layers of post-consumer recycled paper, and it's completely compostable, which I think is just so exciting. I know. It's super amazing. Their flossers are toxin-free. They're manufactured using renewable energy. Love that. Right. They're currently sourcing environmentally friendly compostable floss that lives up to Dr. Stacy's, is what her name, her standards. She's sustainably focused fair wage shop oh which i love that too in portland oregon so that's awesome with renewable energy so i just love all of this they're committed to infusing sustainability into every aspect of their company and packaging and they they're creating packs of 30 and 90 and they want to just make it global oh wow so i think everybody should check this out and possibly consider buying some paper flossers Since we're focusing on mothers for the month of May, I've been going through a book called Tough Mothers. Oh, yeah. For anyone that has younger children, I think this book would be a great addition to any family library. I just got to show it to you. The illustrations are fun. The stories are unique. Yeah. And each mother they cover has a safety rating. So, like right here, it's like maturity based on oh, the really five. Neat. And then they also have additionally look for these icons. Some of them are violence, abuse, sex, rape. um self-harm child loss so they're they're real topics right but they also give a warning so i just that's really neat i appreciate that so they all have a safety rating and they aren't the usual historical figures that we've heard a gazillion times sorry but i just i kind of get bored of the same old story (laughs) some new people huh? yes because there are other people that are important to learn about right but each one is a unique, somewhat unknown mom. So, our Portland connection unfortunately, her story doesn't really fit with our theme. And definitely, like her mature rating is on there, and it also includes abuse because okay. just several things. So, it shows Marie Akui. Okay. E Q U I. She definitely was a feminist, and it says her arts notes and trivia. Here, Marie is seen climbing a Phone pole. Wow! And with an anti-war banner. Well, Harriet, that was her partner at the time, is carrying Mary Junior, their child, and a policeman follow her below a crowd of labor activists and suffragists. She oh, was wow. a suffragist, which I do absolutely admire. The entire street scene is tinted yellow and purple, the colors of the suffrage movement. What year was
0: it? Was she? Um,
1: she was eighteen seventy two to nineteen fifty two. Okay, yeah. And at her hip is the whip she used to attack a corrupt school superintendent that back in, like, her early days, she had threatened because her partner at the time was not, she didn't get paid, and so she was threatening this superintendent, and... Like, great, I mean, very interesting story. But the picture that Jason Porath has in his book is an actual Portland square from the era, and all the banners are slogans from the time.
0: Oh, wow. That's
1: cool. I I mean, I love the story. I love the Portland connection. She's the mom who broke every taboo she could. (laughs) So, there you go. That's why we're not covering her today, but instead, I'm going over another person that really spoke to me in this book Vera Peters. I hadn't heard of her name before, and the illustrations—that's the other. I thing. I love the illustrations. Book. Oh my gosh, that's really neat! He, I think he worked for, and I—I I don't know, but he worked in animation before. Okay, and that so
0: makes sense. They he's just... not
1: a historian, but he really does his research, and the book is just so good at at learning about unique people, and then this, and then the pictures just tell a story yeah. in itself. But with Vera Peters, I hadn't heard about her before. And the illustrations that he included, you know, this woman's in a doctor's jacket sitting at a table. Her kids are there. She's got a cigarette waiting. <laughs> some coffee at the side. Right. And that's apparently the image her girls, you know, kind of remember of their mother, Vera. After she would put the kids to bed, she would continue working late into the night. So she oh, worked, wow. you know, full-time job. Then would come home, make sure to have dinner every night with her kids. And then she would sit down at the table and study. And go through these case files studying cancer stories.
0: Oh, wow.
1: So Vera Peters made the Tough Mother's Book because Jason called her the mother of the modern mastectomy. Oh, wow. So obviously that would would um resonate with me of course this book called out um this one called out to me i didn't know much about mastectomies until i had to have one i could go on and on and on about mastectomies and and what they do but i didn't realize that i have a canadian oncologist mildred vera peters she dropped the mildred when she became a physician and just went by vera to thank for that vera was in medical school when her mother was diagnosed with breast cancer her mom had a radical mastectomy. Standard for the time for anyone with breast cancer. And while it was normal for the time, these operations would leave a woman disfigured. They would remove not only the breast but the lymph nodes and the pectoral muscles as well. Ooh. And at the turn of the century, the operation was
0: quite successful against breast cancer. But you had super other, invasive, yeah, very invasive. And I wonder immune. what the recovery of that would be if you had that much if you removal. Had that yeah, a big recovery. That, that was the problem.
1: William Halsted and Willie Meyer were the first to achieve successful results with radical mastectomy. At the time, it was somewhat encouraging with what they would see with breast cancer patients. And originally, they called it the Halstead mastectomy. Later, to be called the radical mastectomy. Well, it was very promising for breast cancer patients. The operation itself wasn't exactly ideal. Yeah, as I'm sure you can imagine. There were complications that would result from radical mastectomy. First of all, the risk of infection and general recovery from such an invasive procedure. Secondly, the high risk of lymphedema due to the removal of the lymph nodes. And they still talk about that now. But I mean, even more so then, where I I looked up some pictures and you just see extreme swelling. Okay. I just can't even Mm. imagine how that would feel, but... Then there was the mental aspect of the entire scene. Women right. were left scarred emotionally oh, yeah, and physically. And at the time, they didn't really discuss what was going on or even the procedure itself, which only added to the devastation many women and some men. because right. so no breasts. support. No, well, well I, I
0: mean. I mean, mean have, you know what I mean, from an emotional piece. They you know? have
1: support, but, like, sometimes they would just go in and they'd, you know, be going in for this checkup. Right. And then they'd be put under and then they'd wake up and find out, oh. I now... Your body's completely
0: changed. Totally
1: changed. But post-operation morbidity rates were high as the large wounds, you can imagine how large the area was, were created in removing the cancer and other tissue. Lymphedema, as I said, was very common, still is today, and arm movement was highly restricted. Thus, chronic pain became prevalent. Surgeons were faced with such large breast cancers that seemed they needed drastic treatment methods the quality of patient life was not taken into consideration i mean they saw it as problem was breast cancer i totally understand this the problem was the cancer and that's what they dealt with they didn't see the patient as a whole right yeah
0: and you're saying large cancer so they probably these had gone undetected because they just didn't have the well i mean it
1: it was a new new thing new science i mean
0: they just didn't know enough about it right and before
1: dr peters the gold standard was they just went in for this total removal. Because so much of the pectoral muscle was removed, there was often a concave area left post surgery. Oh, which yeah. can you I mean, I, I can't I just imagine. Yeah. Yeah. on top of that, patients weren't exactly informed about their own treatment. And this part just blows That's shocking. Blows me away. At the time, doctors often viewed as a problem to solve, so they solved the cancer. Right. The patient wasn't part of the equation. So they didn't discuss what was going to happen and all of that. They just went in and, and were dealing with the cancer. That meant no communication or discussion to somewhat prepare the patient for the loss that they were going to experience. And I can't imagine going through such an invasive procedure without having the opportunity to at least discuss. So blindly. <laughs> yeah. To know the risks that I'm facing and the implications that are, that, you know, and, and to make an educated choice. I guess, in what I'm doing. But in 1943, Higginson and Stout reviewed over 500 patients who had had radical mastectomies for breast cancer and identified a group of patients who could not be cured by radical mastectomy, thus developing the concepts of operability and inoperability. This would eventually lead to the staging of breast cancer. So staging breast cancer would pave the way for breast conservation and a procedure known as lumpectomy. In Vera Peters' time, this was thought to be too risky and people thought it was irresponsible. Wow. So like in this book with uh, her mothers, yeah, he talked about her giving her talk and, and the group was just quiet or some people were laughing and obviously Not mostly men at the time. Yeah, they thought that it was a joke and they laughed at her, but she just kept. Plugging away oh, and looking at the her. numbers. Oh, yeah. no.
0: Just. Because you could be discouraged and being,
1: Absolutely.
0: And not being, being probably one of the few women. Abs- yeah. Very few women. So I'll back up a little okay. bit here. yeah. Because
1: Vera Peters also was a pioneer in the treatment of Hodgkin's disease. Oh, wow. Which is so ironic. Yeah. Um, th- at the time, it was a cancer of the lymphatic system that was believed to be incurable, so Dr. Gordon Richards was the director of the Department of Radiology at the Toronto General Hospital, and Dr. Peters was his mentor. Okay. So Dr. Richards had asked his young colleague, Vera Peters, to examine patient records. This is, you know, foreshadowing with what her, her daughters saw, saw. At, her at the table when, she, when they went to bed. He felt that radiation treatment after surgical removal of affected areas could be effective. And after two years, Dr. Peters presented her study that spanned 20 years and, and included 247 patients. And this wow. is where the yeah. book talks about them just being silent or laughing at her findings. And Dr. Richards had died before her findings, before it was published. But Dr. Peters' research noted that high doses of radiation could, in fact, cure Hodgkin's disease. How? So, this was published in 1950, and it didn't get much attention in the medical community. But her second paper, published in 1956, received a little more interest. Her studies contributed to the cure of Hodgkin's disease, today, over 90%.
0: That's an incredible percentage.
1: Yeah. It's actually, like, one of the most, they say, cancer's never curable, but it's one of the most... Treatable, maybe. Yeah. So, the memories her girls have of their mother working tirelessly at the table, Aww. absolutely worth it in yeah. the, to these cancer patients. Me included. Yes, yes. So, so we're li- um, li- living proof. Exactly. For Vera, that wasn't enough. She collaborated with radiation oncologists and studied 8,000 cases of breast cancer from 1935 to the late 1950s. Wow. And proved that lumpectomies and radiation could be just as effective at fighting breast cancer- sometimes even more so fewer scars and less emotional trauma right so i like my mother-in-law had a, a lumpectomy and is 10 years out yeah absolutely like thriving doing great and i feel like she has vera peters to thank For because sure. she didn't go through the radical mastectomy because they staged her cancer they mm. knew what she had to do and You know, she's
0: living proof that not everybody had to have a radical mastectomy. It's interesting. It's probably that female perspective on looking at these women patients and understanding what it would feel like. And that's part
1: of her thing. She
0: listened to her patients, which
1: was not common at the time. Right. They were just looking for how to fix the problem. But I admire her strength through all of this. And so many medical professionals at the time saw her work as controversial some even shunned her, tried to discredit her work. I'm extremely grateful for her advances in both Hodgkin's disease and breast cancer since I, I've been very unlucky oh. to experience them both. I, 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 I think that's environment. But even more than her medical advances, I admire that she changed the way patients were treated yes. or are treated yes. for sure. Yes. She encouraged a patient-centered approach. And included her patients with discussions and treatment and side effects. All the interviews I watched noted how much she cared for her patients. And even if she was in a hurry, yeah. she was a busy doctor and a mom, right. she never showed it. And she was always very genuine. She listened. And she was just warm and empathetic. Oh. And they, they could they could feel that. On top of all of this, she was a loving mother, wife. She had two daughters, it talked about how it was very important for her to be home at dinner, to right. have dinner with her family. She made jam. I mean, she was a regular mom. And today. doing all of this. Doing all of this on top of raising two girls. That's really incredible. Growing up, her mother was a teacher and encouraged education with all of her children. So you see yeah. how it just, it continued That's probably why she stayed up late researching, (laughs) you know, that
0: love of learning and, you know. She learned
1: that from her mom, and that inspires me for my boys. Yeah. You know, I want to set a good example. All of her siblings, except for one, went to college, which was pretty uncommon at the time. She grew up on a dairy farm in Rexdale, Ontario, in Canada. Like most kids on the farm, like, she'd be up at four, and she'd be milking the cows and doing chores before heading into school. She had like a one room schoolhouse. She was an excellent student, graduated at 16, but she was too young to enter medical school. So she studied math and physics at the University of Toronto until she could transfer to the Faculty of Medicine. She graduated in 1934 and was one of 10 women.
0: Wow. And not many women.
1: No, of 115. Her mother had set an example of caring for her family and having a career. And Mildred, Vera Peters, she dropped the Mildred, obviously, followed in her footsteps. For Vera, she was Mrs. Lobb at oh, home. Yeah. So when people would call, if they asked for Mrs. Lobb, they knew that it was someone related to home and family the girl. and the yeah. kids. Yeah. And if they asked for Dr. Peters, they knew it was related to the hospital. Vera's youngest daughter, Jenny Lobb Ingram, was inspired by her mother to become a physician as oh. well, which I love that. Yes. So perfect for Mother's Day. I watched an interview with her daughter, Jenny, who is now in geriatric medicine, and a genuine, like, she just genuinely admires her mom as she reflects on her life. She noted that her mother never wanted public attention for herself, but wanted all of the attention for her work.
0: Oh,
1: yeah. Which I... That's some admirable. Yeah, so admire. She also noted that her mother didn't focus on the people who would try to discredit her because she was a woman. Yeah, yeah. Which is just crazy to me that they would try to discredit her because she was female. Right. I don't get it. I don't either. But instead, she would focus on the science. And she would focus on her findings. She didn't like to argue. So she went back to just the science and the stats that she kept. That's so humble, you know. But absolutely necessary in trying to move forward. I love that she didn't lower her standards or resort to petty arguments, but stuck with just the science. Simple! Yeah. (laughs) So, her quiet, unassuming disposition often was a disadvantage because she was in a male-dominated field. But in the end, her findings made up for her soft-spoken demeanor. In 2015, playwright Charles Hader created a play covering Dr. Oh, Peters. Cool. I know the play was named Radical, oh. based on her radical findings for the time. That was um, extremely popular with doctors and cancer patients in attendance, and I think even her daughter was there.
0: Oh, that's really cool! In
1: September, on September 10th, 2020, Canada issued a commemorative stamp to celebrate Vera Peters' accomplishments. Still considering all that she contributed to not only cancer patients, but to the doctor-patient relationship is pretty dang impressive. I admire her strength when people would try to discredit her. I mean, talk about humiliating. This is her field of expertise, and people are mocking her. I admire that she listened to her patients and wanted to understand their point of view. She was caring and put her patients first. She seemed to balance both her rigorous professional life and her busy family life. She showed her girls and the world that it's okay to think differently. Right. I think that's She's kind of so, a modern woman. Yeah. She was so ahead of her time. Right. And thank goodness she encouraged us to think differently. It definitely improved the lives of countless cancer patients with breast preservation and improved quality of life. So ladies that would have had a total mastectomy instead would do a lumpectomies and some radiation and be good to go. What a different outcome. Absolutely. Being a mom is hard and having a different viewpoint And going against modern medical standards must have been extremely difficult. But this woman was strong enough to accomplish both. She improved cancer treatments for both Hodgkin's disease and breast cancer. Her perseverance helped improve countless people, thus improving their quality of life. On top of that, she had a unique approach with her patients. So It was definitely not standard at the time. Right. She talked with her patients and listened to them, which not only doctors you know, important for doctors, but also just people in general. Just right. listen. listen. Yeah, for sure. I won't say it's easy to have those discussions with your doctor, but they're absolutely necessary. Dr. Peters took an approach that focused on the patient, not solely on the disease. And I'm so thankful she started that practice. so thankful her girls shared this mom with us. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have definitely benefited from Dr. Vera Peters, and I think anyone who's gone to a doctor has. She was inducted into the Canadian Medical Hall of Fame in 2010 and 2014, and she's finally being recognized and appreciated for her patient-centered care and her more conservative approach to cancer treatment, which I feel is too little too late, but at least we're finally recognizing her. Yeah, exactly. Love what uh, with Vera Peters is that once again it's a she's a woman of strength yeah like her mother she lost her dad when she was very young and the family just had to stick together they had to support each other yeah for her to go to medical school a lot of her siblings helped she worked as a uh, on a tourist ship as a waitress um. and that's where she met her husband. Oh cute, yeah. Which I think is super sweet. She also
0: played hockey. Oh wow. Which yeah, you wouldn't expect pretty cool. That. Yeah. No, you
1: wouldn't you wouldn't. And I I love that she was going into medicine before, but then it became even more important to her after her mother. I just love the family unit that her yeah. family came together, that her, you know, siblings helped her get through medical school. Um and and just all of it. She lost her her dad very early on. So she had strong female role models, definitely, in her life. And I, I'm inspired by that. One isn't necessarily born with courage, but one is born with potential. Without courage, we cannot practice any other virtue with consistency. We can't be kind, true, merciful, generous, or honest. Maya Angelou. So I know we usually try to find current stories and people making a difference in the world, but I thought I'd change it up a little bit for Mother's Day. My happy finds are the two moms in my life. Oh. So when I examine my good attributes, most of them can be traced back to these two ladies.
0: Oh, sweet. And
1: when I think about the person I want to be most, the people I want to be most like, once again, they come to mind. I'll start with my mom, who's probably the strongest person I know. She's all like four foot, maybe 11. Oh, yeah. I don't even think she's... Yeah, she's very petite. But I'm not just talking her physical attributes, though it wasn't uncommon for me to come home from school and have her rearrange the furniture in the house. Oh. And I I always wondered how my little mom could move such heavy furniture all by herself. Did and she just like to change it up. She did. She liked okay. to change it up, which I I totally I absolutely get, but she would yeah. do it by herself. That's, that's and really I, incredible. Yeah. I'm like, how does this little lady like move a big couch and move a TV and move you know, armoire and whatever. My mom did it. And she also figured out little mechanical issues. And oh. I'm like, ah, that's beyond me. No, I don't yeah. have the patience for. My mom would like figure stuff out and like solve mechanical problems. And I think it just was sheer determination. She doesn't focus on the problem, but she rolls up her sleeves, yeah. just like Laura Bush. Yes, I love it. And she works on the solution. So I need to, I need to be more like my mom that way. Her strength goes well beyond physical; she's mentally strong. Life has, you know, as we've shared, it's definitely a lot of bumps. She supported her kids through everything. From, you know, cancer, miscarriages, cancer again, Um, and and she's just loved her kids unconditionally. She's dependable to a fault and an absolute rock for the rest of the family. She makes the best chocolate chip cookies on the planet (laughs) (laughs) and goes out of her way to make others feel loved.
0: Aww.
1: Now as a mom myself, I look back at the sacrifices she's made throughout the years. And I'm just in awe of her humble spirit and kind yeah. heart. I mean, she definitely taught us to be humble and to think of others. Right. And, and I see that I'm my mom. And I definitely want to carry that on. My mom adopted the- <laughs> A rat oh. that my son wanted. So he had to have his eyes dilated. And and after the appointment, I was like, oh, what do you want to? I felt bad. Yeah. And, he, and long story short, he wanted a rat. I so <laughs> go to PetSmart, he wants this rat. I get oh, a rat. Wow. My mom ends up with a rat.
0: Oh, that is
1: that's true love. That
0: is, is love.
1: Unconditional. I know. <laughs> so she went ahead and adopted that rat that my son wanted. Plus, we had a skipper key at the time. So I buy this rat. Right. And our dog was a rat hunting. Like oh. they were known, like that's how they were bred yeah. to. His senses <laughs> must have been going just, off. Oh my goodness, the stories. But he, they were bred to hunt rats on yeah. ships. Aww. So my mom adopted, I can't even remember what the, all, like the rat had a big long name. What was like, the rat's name? It had a huge long name. Oh, okay. Like Tom Jerry's, like all oh, sorts okay. of things. But, all, all the rats. So she adopted the rat. She's played dinosaurs with my boys because they were super into that. She Aww. also let my son watch Jurassic Park when he was super young. And the thing that's funny about that is that, she was very conservative with what we were allowed to watch. Yeah. And yet my three year old is allowed to watch Jurassic Park. Yeah. So I she saw it as, you know, it's they're dinosaurs. Right. And, and and thank goodness he didn't have any any nightmares Trauma. or anything. No. But I just thought it was super sweet. She's genuinely supportive of whatever interests my my kids have and, and her grandkids in general. I guess I gotta say grandsons because we have another one coming. Oh yeah. And so exciting. there will be ten grandsons for my mom and no no, no girls. girls. No. Wow. So it looks like that's all she's gonna get. But I wanna be more like my mom because she's humble, kind, always encouraging, and seriously the most selfless person I know. She's also got a really good sense of humor I must Aww. be listening to the podcast
0: Yay. because
1: I brought this to show you. She <laughs> got me the Move It Barbie for my birthday. And her ankles do move. And I think I think pretty much everything, everything moves. moves. And the and thing I is, am. I'm trying to be a minimalist and yet there's no way I'm going to be able to get rid of this Barbie because sentimental value, my mom gave it to me. I, know. I love her leggings. <laughs> All of it. It's, it's just so cute. <laughs> cute. My mother-in-law has also taught me a fair share of lessons, too. She loves unconditionally and is crazy supportive of her family. Her passion for animals has definitely been passed down to her boys and my kids. Aww. Um, And seeing that just makes me so happy. She spent years volunteering at the Oregon Zoo.
0: Oh, that's neat. And
1: she'd take the Zoomobile around to educate kids about animals. I thought she was a little zany when I first met her. She was putting up bat boxes. Oh, yeah. Well, a little unique in the backyard. And she had rescued a possum from a neighbor's house. This woman rescued
0: a possum. Wow. Yeah. yeah. How long did she have it as a guest? Not not long, well, yeah. but
1: the mere fact that, that... she did it. That to her, that, that's a, you know, creature. Right. I was like, oh, mm, it's a possum. I mean, I remember stories... I, uh, my great-grandma would definitely not be rescuing a possum, but but for my mother-in-law, her genuine compassion for all living things is definitely a quality I want to emulate. She's also super organized, and she knows her boundaries. She's very yeah. good at that. Two things I'm always working on. She's been a lifelong teacher, even though her classroom time was brief. I love that she's always thinking of others articles that might interest someone in her life, a show she's found that someone Aww, might want to watch, yeah. yeah. Or a recipe that she wants to share. I just always love that you know, getting articles or notes and stories because it reminds me that she's thinking of me. Yeah. I love her sense of adventure too. <laughs> Hearing the stories of my husband's childhood with their boy scout. Oh, mom, yeah. So cool. His dad didn't go on trips, but my mother in law would go out camping with the kids, and it just absolutely impresses me. She's always up for games, which I need to be better about because I'm like structured. I got to do stuff, yeah. Yeah. So I need to just slow down and do puzzles and games and whatnot. But and my boys would say that she makes the best hot cocoa, which always makes me laugh because it's packaged probably, oh, oh, probably Swiss Miss Coco. It's because she made it probably. Yeah. Well, and she makes it with water. Okay. Yeah. So definitely, I'm sorry to say to my mother-in-law, but not the best cocoa out there. But I think it's the best to them because of all the memories. They think of, you know, it's something special with grandma. Yeah. And it made them feel special to wake up and have grandma make them hot cocoa. Oh, so for wow. them, that it's the best cocoa ever. Yeah. But I guess with both of the moms in my life, they have the same quality when it comes right down to it. Unconditional love. Yeah. And they show it in different ways, for sure. But that's what I want to give my boys. And I think that's what I admire most about the moms in my life is just that unconditional love and and how they show it. Mothers are not the ones that never struggled. They're the ones that never give up despite the struggles. Sharon Janes.
0: Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has
1: all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow
0: us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.